Welcome to the Point of Things. I'm Lisa, and this is Wes. Idly ho, New York. He's lighting his cigar right now. I caught him off guard. Uh, today's topic is globalization and the tariffs on scotch that are affecting a lot of people. It's a really timely topic, so we wanted to kind of talk about it for a minute. We're here at the Members Only Lounge. Members of beautiful Akron, Ohio. We smoke it over there. I have an OSG by Rocky Patel. It stands for Original Sun Grown. It's really amazing. How about you? I have a Cohiba, Connecticut, or Connecticut, as it might be more colloquially known. That's and a big boy. It's a big one. It's a fat one. It's a fat one. It's rotund. It's a big gauge. It sure. is. It's uh it's not a Churchill, but it's uh it's a big gauge, so I think it's a sixty or sixty four gauge. Yeah. And it's pairing well with uh what do we have here today? This is an Ardbeg Perpetuum. Um Ardbeg tends to be fairly peaty, not as much as my beloved Octomore, but Got the peat. it's peaty. Octomore's kinda peat. normal person, strongly peated. Yeah, the uh the peat is right there. So yeah. Scotch is one of those things where it's a global product in any culture. One of the stories that, I mean, this is a free plug for Johnny Walker, but I'm a Johnny Walker fan, and in the history of Johnny Walker, the company, they put a nice video out with a well-known actor about the story of the the deep history of Johnny Walker and how it came to pass. Nice. Uh, but one of the methods and how he got the square bottle and at the angle of the um, the uh, oh the display the the font was at exactly forty two degrees. <laughs> and uh, there were a couple of trivia bits. You know, if you want to free, win a free drink at the bar, but uh, the reason was because you wanted the font to be bigger because again we're talking about pre you know sure. pre industrial revolution to industrial revolution. And the glass bottles were in squares. And so what Johnny Walker did and his uh, progeny for their firm was they convinced ship's captains mm-hmm. of the time, which that was a thing, to be agents of the company and take scotch around the world where they went. Nice. And England not is an island. The United Kingdom is an island. If you Wait, what? If, if you didn't know that already. Wait, what? <laughs> the United Kingdom and Ireland are islands. Oh, and so my. They tend to do a, have a very nice navy, uh, rather small standing army because there's not a lot of them, but they usually have a pretty good navy, uh, whereas America tends to have a balanced offense right? <laughs> as far as our armed forces are concerned. Well, I mean, England kind of continues to exist as a country because they really knew what they were doing with their ships. So, yeah. It certainly helps. And if you haven't uh, been in Iraq for the last... Two and a half years, uh, the European Union is going some, going through what's called a Brexit. Like the United Kingdom, the United Kingdom voted uh, when we elected Donald Trump here in America. They had a referendum on whether or not they wanted to stay or leave the European Union. That is a correct statement, but I don't know if it's an accurate one. You make it sound like the two are linked, well, they're, they're and I not. don't believe it's they are. Same time frame. It's just yeah. the same. It's a, it's a, I'm using I just wanted time. to yeah. clear this up. Yeah, it's not. A did not cause B, but it's a kind of a timing phrase. Uh, but that's the kind of time we're talking about. So the United Kingdom voted to leave the European Union. And so that okay. is... Uh, so European Union, if for basic your basic econ here, 
they yep. they act as one, and that's where they have the euro, which is their currency. Except yep. the United Kingdom has their own currency. Yes. And so, really, it's a trade issue. So, right. what what the countries have agreed, they've agreed to say, listen, we're not going to tax anybody's goods or services, mm-hmm. or if we're <laughs> going to tax them, or what they what a tax on goods is called is called a tariff, then we're going to do so, and it's going to be universal for everybody. Right. So everybody's on the same playing field. So if you're a manufacturer in England versus a manufacturer in Morocco, you have the same economic certainty sure. with your trading partners. And now, you know, and if you find one, and it's a big deal. Starting over? No, we're back on. Okay. So yeah, they're uh, they left uh, the European Union. They're in the process of doing so. It's a it's a big deal. It's political turmoil, and it's just politics. And right. So what what in essence the United Kingdom has to do is they have to renegotiate all their trade contracts, much like the uh, United States has renegotiated NAFTA and our various different trade contracts with we call them treaties, but in essence they're contracts. Sure. Uh, with all the other countries that we trade in. And the big deal here is that it does affect scotch. Right. Now, I have a question. Um, I know a little bit about it, but I'll ask my question anyway. You can clear me up if I'm wrong and maybe eliminate the audience. I tend to think of the European Union as being somewhat similar to the United States. This is their group. Each one has its own um jurisdiction and sovereignty however they also act as a cohesive unit in many ways correct incorrect correct yes yeah. so so the idea is that with that's good lawyer talk right there when, when the lawyer says correct or incorrect that's a leading question that's how you know it is <laughs> so the idea is that if britain is leaving it would be similar to a non-violent, non-civil war, one of the states decides, peace out, I'm gone. And you have to renegotiate how do, how are the contracts between the states being handled when this one is no longer a state. Correct. It's, it's conceptually similar. So it makes it very tricky. Yeah, so it, it's a lot of political, because the, one of the reasons, one of the things countries do in an effort to bolster their economies is to manipulate trade. America right. does it and we've done it for uh, since inception. Oh, everybody. Um, does it. We had sure. a if you read back to the founding fathers, one of the largest um Alexander Hamilton and another um was was shocked. Um oh and he's on the ten dollar bill, just so we're clear. Because they were arguing over whether or not the United States should have a national bank. Because they thought the national right. bank would have too much power, so even at that point, we were, you know, having. Oh, and look, <laughs> we have a Federal Reserve. It's like a national bank, and again, so these countries that manipulate the their currencies and more importantly their trade, because most countries have a singular export, and for instance, you know, America singular export is corn. We very much so. export. We grow enough corn. In the breadbasket of America, which is Texas, Oklahoma, Nebraska, Kansas, and the Dakotas. Oh, no, you forgot the corn state, Iowa. Iowa. To the point where it's in the gasoline, literally in the gasoline, and because Iowa is the first 
it's not a primary, it's a caucus that all of the politicians are expected to go kiss the ring and extol the virtues of corn. Corn! Whether or not they believe it. Right. The- and if you lose at Iowa, goodbye, you're done. Kiss it, gone. And, and think about it, because we in our, uh, corn is such pervasive in America. It, it is, like Elisa said, it's in our oil, it's in our gasoline. It is an, um, corn syrup. I used to live in Iowa, and I mean, I know, uh, <laughs> literally I could look out. Corn forever. Uh, Ever. Two out of my, four sides of my house and see corn. It's everywhere. It is. It, they're not messing around. That's why, you know, when we go to, like, Mexico, uh, you want to get a Coca-Cola there because it has pure cane sugar in the Coca-Cola, mm-hmm. whereas the Coca-Cola and Pepsi here in America has corn syrup. That's how much corn syrup, how much corn we have to use. Yeah. Now, corn is not necessarily a product uh, used into scotch making, but it, every Correct. every country has their own export, and obviously the United Kingdom, one of their biggest exports is alcohol and scotch. And... Do you happen to know where it ranks on the list of their exports? I, I, not off the top of my head. Fair. Uh, but it is, it is high up there. Um, with the United Kingdom leaving the European Union, because America has an agreement with the European Union, right? right? And part of these agreements is like you have to put a tariff or a tax on a non-EU product so that you're giving preference to the EU product. Right. And scotch now will be subject to a 25% tax or tariff when we import it into the United States of America. Yes. So if a scotch normally costs $100, it will now cost $125. Right. And that is just for the sole purpose of what they got going on over there. So let's follow this idea through. If you're buying a $100 bottle of scotch and it costs you $125, are you going to buy as much scotch? And the answer for most people is probably not. No. You're going to scale back because there's, well, as far as your budget, there is a finite amount of income and it's not necessarily in the budget for that extra 25%. So right. So that, cut back. Right. Well, and it, it, you know, everybody does their budget in the household. So you know that you're, that $25 extra has to come from somewhere. So where does that $25 come from? And you, right. you know, and so... It undoubtedly will hurt. And so economics 101 is that the higher the tax, the lower the demand because you're, right. it, you got to take it from someplace. So and let's follow it one step further than that. If the demand is lower, what does that do to the employees, the companies making the scotch? Right. So to follow it through our system, you know, I've got a bachelor's in economics, so this is like, that's why I asked the question. <laughs> I already knew knows. that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm leading, again, leading, leading questions. The she's leading the witness. So, <laughs> I object, Your Honor. Yeah, it's okay. So the way, so anyway, so you think of a, like a scotch distillery, right? They're going to produce X amount of bottles every year. And right. we've extolled this at almost every podcast is that it takes 10 years to make 10 year old <laughs> scotch. So part of this does, so part of this, there's a lag. So there's always right. a lag between when you initiate a tax versus when you feel it. So let's say um, Johnny Walker sells a thousand bottles of whiskey a year, and I know that it's way, far more than way that, more but than yes, that. We're doing easy math, easy guys. math, right? So that means with those thousand bottles, they can employ 
a hundred people. Right. And so if that goes down to nine hundred bottles, then it those hundred people they may not need. So they may right. only need ninety. They only need ninety five. There's going to be data, and they have the data. And believe you me, each firm, each Scotch distillery, and Lisa can probably attest to this yes. uh, because she did tour them. When they probably ha- every Scotch distillery, I feel like I've toured. They they ha- they gather an inordinate amount of data, and they use that data mainly because agriculture, because they've got to grow all the ingredients for the Scotch. They've got to keep humidity to a certain level, right. and all these conditions are all relative. And they, in right. essence, they have to put this all into a computer, and they have to say, what will happen if the temperature is this, the humidity is this, mm-hmm. and what will my yield be? It's the business side right. of scotch is what we're talking about today. The balancing factor that makes it tricky is that scotch is over 10 years. What if these tariffs, for whatever reason disappear in two months. We've laid off staff. Given that given that Scotland is so dedicated in many ways to Scotch production, it may have caused people to leave the country to seek jobs elsewhere because their livelihood has dried up. They're being told, no, this is long term, we can't hire you. And now, oh, look, your job is back. Can you afford to pick up and move right back? Right. It doesn't happen Not overnight. Necessarily. Right. And so CNBC has done a great story about uh, the the Scotch tariff specifically. And the, one of the associations that I want to be a part of is the Scotch Whiskey Association of America. It's their, it's their lobbying group for America. How do I get which, on board? Which is so great for me because... One of the tidbits of American government is the White House and the United States Congress and the United States House of Representatives, so the Senate and the House, uh, they are exempt from all of the labor laws and the alcohol laws. So there's no, uh, you, you can't, the, they can't be sued for wage and hour claims or anything else like that, and they can have um, alcohol at any given hour because that it's just one of the unique exceptions that our government has provided for themselves. <laughs> In, in our laws and whatnot. And I'd like to announce my candidacy right here on the air. And that's why this November, with your support, <laughs> Lisa will be running for... <laughs> the Scotch Whiskey Board. That's right. So, I mean, that's... So, my... The funniest thing for me is that you have a group of people who are already predisposed to having alcohol, i.e. our, our, our representatives. Yeah. I mean... Are some of them in AA? Sure. But vast, right. the vast majority of them are going to have a drink. And you've got a person who's walking around the halls of our esteemed government saying, you know, I've got this bottle of scotch I need some help with. I mean, that has got to be the greatest job ever. <laughs> you've got to convince people to say, hey, let me sell more of this in your country. And according to the Scotch Whiskey Association, uh, the United States accounts for one billion pounds, which is the United Kingdom's currency. Yes. So that works out to be a one and a half billion billion dollars, roughly, uh, in sales. Which is a staggering amount. Huge amount. I mean, that that is conceptually, we consume about a gallon and a half per person in, of, of America of alcohol. A gallon and a half. Wow. I mean, that's a year, but still, when you when you go to the supermarket and you buy a gallon of milk, 
Wow. <laughs> think about that and a half gallon, because you've had a half gallon before, of alcohol. And you think to yourself, no, there's no way. And then you go to your liquor cabinet and be like, well, we did fr- drink four bottles of Jim Beam. <laughs> you know, I mean, I went to college. Right. You know, gallon and a half, okay. Right. And you that think- might have... That might have been a Thursday night. Right. So some people are holding up. It's an average. Some people are better than the average. Some people are not better than the average. But it's one of those things, as long as you do it responsibly, of course, and not yeah. while you're driving or anything else like that. Um, but So the Scotch Whiskey Association is, and again, CNBC did a wonderful piece on this, uh, is saying, listen, this is going to hurt sales because you've got a 25% tax. And arguably speaking, this is not a tax on everybody else. It's a tax on people who like right. scotch. So when you think about who likes scotch, it's a pretty self-selecting group. It's like cigars. Sure. Yeah. Speaking of, how is your cigar? I am about a quarter away through my Cohiba, Connecticut. Connecticut, that's how you spell it. That's a uh, reason I say that. I've got young children who are learning how to spell, so we sound things out a lot. A lot of people say uh, it that way. Connecticut. And then uh, it, it's about a quarter way through. Very smooth. Very, very smooth. Very good. Cohibas are uh, solid. Uh, it's a little higher on the price range as far as the price points are concerned. It's a solid smoke. You can't go wrong. If this is your first ever cigar, I would not suggest Cohiba because if it is, if you have a Cohiba or a Davidoff or like an Opus X on your first cigar, I would say that you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, you're <laughs> Because you're wrecked at that point. Right, because <laughs> you're going to be used to these very high-end cigars, which is good, which is where you want to help, but you want to have the breadth and width of cigars, which is phenomenal. Mine is... How are we doing? Okay. It's a little bitter, but I chalk that up to it being sun-grown. It's good, but it's it ain't playing around. It's very intense. It's got kind of a bitter black pepper sort of a taste to it. So yeah, and to be specific, the 25% tariffs will only apply to single malt Scotch whiskey and single malt Irish whiskey. Well, damn. <laughs> and we like both of those things. Uh, Indeed, so. we do. <laughs> Here we are. But, uh, you know, so as far as the globalization of Scotch, I mean, because... Scotch is an agri- is is an agricultural product. It's a byproduct of agriculture. So, in the sense that it takes barley, it takes water, and all of the distilleries use local waters. They're very big on that. They're very proud of their water sources, and it is delicious, very clean, nice water. And you know? as Lisa has told us when she came back from her tours and everything else like that. When you have a product, scotch, that takes four ingredients and, you know... Three. Three. So what are they? Barley, yeast, water. Okay, so you've got those three ingredients. So you want to make sure that those three ingredients are protected because in any in any job or any uh, factory, you want to have a, a constant supply right. of regular, uh, consistent inputs. Yeah. Raw materials. Yeah. And with agriculture, that's tough to do because it's subject to the world and, you know, the world is ever-changing place. So Lisa was first-hand experiencing how all these different distilleries would conserve, not necessarily because they had to, but because they knew they were generating a consistent product. Because they weren't going to use 
more than X amount of water in a year because they didn't want right. to ruin the water supply. Right. They didn't want to use X amount more of uh, barley or yeast because the soil might get damaged. Sure. So you've got, and that's what we're talking about, all this data, and we've talked about that before. So, you know, when Lisa's touring these distilleries, all this data goes into a computer, mm-hmm. and, they, and they are able to track the weather, and then all of a sudden, then they can plan. Right. That's the, because when you're taking 10 years to make scotch that's 10 years old, you have to plan 10 years in advance, and that's so hard to do. Yeah, it's very tricky, and you need to plan not only for what's going to happen 10 years from now, but what's happening next year, not having a clue what the weather is going to bring next year. So, you know, it's not like you just do one batch every 10 years. I mean, you're constantly making product, and it's got to rotate, and you've got to flex with the times, and sometimes you get unique batches, and you got to figure out how to incorporate that into your product. Now, one of the distilleries that you had toured, you had talked to, you had a private tour that not everybody did. Glenn Alachi. And how long was that master distiller on the job? Did they, how did, do you recall? Uh, that's very hard to say, because at a certain point, Glenn Alachi was sold. He was in a partnership, I believe, with two other people, and I want to say that they were with some South African company. And so when they decided to sell, well, he's one-third of the vote. So two-thirds beats one-third. He had no choice but to sell. And then eventually acquired it back, and now it's his. So there was a pause for a long time with Glenology. And... It's not that he went away, and he, I mean, he did, but it's not, not that The he, knowledge wasn't lost. He didn't unlearn what he knew, and so he comes back, and he's able to reapply it. They have not been back that long, but they're doing great stuff, and they held on to their former supply. This is the distillery that I brought Wes back a bottle of their 25-year. When he reacquired the distillery... And that bottle was, and that bottle, not to be too interrupting here, but that bottle was delicious. It was phenomenal. And Lisa and I. Like everything they turn out is amazing. Lisa and I, as soon as Lisa had a, had a drop, she was like, I should have, and she's like, I should have got a bottle for myself. And I did this last time. (laughs) I did. Um, so I want to say that when they sold it off, eventually bought it back, I believe they had around 240,000 barrels that survived that long, and he destroyed. Not sold off to Johnny Walker or somebody, destroyed. All but 60,000 of them because they weren't up to his standards. And so that's the level that Glenn Alachi is turning out. And by the taste, uh, absolutely, it's worth it. He did a smart business move. I am constantly kind of low-key arguing with my boyfriend about this because he's like that's horrible that's a stupid business decision why would you do that and i'm like because it's not his level of quality this is what he makes his name on and this isn't what he wanted to put out there it wasn't his level 
And that's very, very important. So when you're talking about your personal life and your business life and where you are in life, what's your level? Yeah. Where do you want to be? Sure. I mean, you got you you got to be you, and mm-hmm. you've got to determine how well you want to do this job. Uh, and it, there's various different levels because you all know somebody who's just mailing it in. We do too. Sure. I mean, everybody knows that. So you, from a, the finer things perspective, you want to make sure that you're on the higher end because if you truly are right. doing what you want and you love, then you're going to want to be. You're just going to immerse yourself into it. Yeah. And that's a huge thing to do. Um, one of the things about the tariffs uh, that will now happen is that blended scotch whiskey yes. is not included on that 25% tariff. So all your Correct. Jer- so those sales won't hurt. So you can see that they delineate by product. So the single malt will cost more. Your Johnny Walkers and your other blends will not. Even though they use a small amount of single malt in the blending, it again the tariffs aren't going to apply because you're using it in country. So it's, only when you export it, right? It's the people in country in Scotland that are selling their own product still within Scotland to Johnny Walker, and so the tariffs don't kick in, even though the product is sort of the same. Well, and one of the points that I was going to make is the reason I asked uh, Lisa why she knows somebody. I mean, because you have these master distillers who are going to work for 30 years, right? Right. So 30 years, and that is an awful long time. So think about 30 years where you have a 30-year single malt scotch. Right. That is usually from a distiller. That's their creme de la creme. It's a 25- or 30-year scotch. That's their creme de la creme. This is the best product we have to offer. Well, 30 years ago, not to make anybody feel old, 30 years ago was 1990. Right. I'm rounding up here. But 1990 was 30 years ago. Right. So what was the life like in 1990 versus what is life like today? Because the 30-year-old scotch now won't be open until 2050. Right. And that's a life, I mean, that's a career. And I think of it in terms of being very similar to the fashion um i've said before that i'm very into fashion i've been a fashion blogger it's a passion of mine and um you know you get designers that they are the head of a label they're very well known in their own right but they'll be the head fashion designer for a particular house a particular label and they'll put in five, ten years there, and then they move to a different one. The master distillers are the same. You've got Billy Walker, who was Glen Alachi, and you've got Jim McEwen. I mean, these are those two especially are really big names in the Scotch. And Jim McEwen, he used to be at. Gladdy. I don't know where he was before that. Now he's currently at um, Ardenahoe, which is the most recent, just opened this year on Eileen. They have not, because they just opened this year, obviously they haven't hit that three-year minimum mark for being called a scotch. They're producing their own product, but it's a it's not a blended scotch, but it's a blend of single malt scotches from the island. 
and they kind of put together their own, here's what we're releasing while we wait. Now, the wait is almost certainly not going to be three years. If I go back to Ardenhoe in three years, they're still not going to have their own product on the shelves because he's going to rightly recognize that this is a baby. No, we're sitting on this. Give it another seven years, minimum. Give it, give it 15 years. Give it 20. It'll come out when I feel like letting it come out. And that's kind of what the master distiller does. They make the big calls that say, this is ready. This is what I want. Well, and to put this kind of in perspective as far as the tariffs are concerned, the tariffs will create $7.5 billion in additional revenue to the United States. Okay? So, to put that in perspective... Sure. The state of Ohio, a state of roughly 12 million, 13 million people, our annual, we do it on a biannual budget, but our annual budget, what we spend every yes. year is $35, million, $35 billion. Correct. So that $7.5 billion is roughly 20% of everything the state of Ohio spends in one year. Right. That's a lot of money. It, yeah. I mean, that's an absolute lot of money. And you can't yeah. say this is going to be... Uh, great for business. So if you are interested in buying a bottle of single malt, my advice to you would be now's the time. Now is the absolute time right. to do it because these tariffs haven't really hit. So definitely do that. And then again, the cigars are even better because Lisa's got some notes, which we're going to hear on a later podcast yep. as far as the different tobaccos because tobacco. We're going to dive into it real soon. Is definitely a worldwide product. Yeah. Because, you know, because there's certain things that you can grow everywhere. And tobacco tends to be one of them. And uh, the South here in America built themselves on Tobacco Road. I mean, the label, the term that you hear in um, cigars, you've got Maduro wrappers, you've got Connecticut wrappers. That Connecticut came from somewhere, you know. It earned it. I'm looking forward to that because, yeah, because everybody's trying to get to the Cuban growing method and the Cuban right. tobacco because that was the gold, the, gold sta standard. the gold standard. So Cuban tobacco, now because of where Cuba happens to be situated on earth and where the weather patterns are, and mm -hmm. again, tobacco is an agricultural product, you know, you try to mimic the weather and those kinds of things. Sure. So it's very, very interesting, and that, that, we're looking forward to that. But yeah, yeah. The tariffs, you know, again, I, I like single malt. I'm... I'm going to definitely invest in some single malt scotches before these tariffs because I, I mean, hate paying taxes. I don't know about Lisa. Sure. <laughs> absolutely. I don't know anybody that's a massive fan of paying taxes. Um, you know, I got to put my own little plug in. Scotland's a beautiful country, and if you can visit it and bring some back, I argue that's the way to go. Definitely. And you're do not it. paying the tariffs. Right. Definitely do it. But, you know, that's just me. That's huge. So yeah, that's uh, so again. It, it's just one of those uniqueness that Scotch again worldwide product, and that's how everybody knows it. I mean, the uh, one of the things that we were talk, talking about an earlier podcast was the uh, Japanese whiskey, and technically speaking, it is Japanese Scotch. Scotch, right? So they are they're trying to create a industry in a non typical because 
Right. India and China are the two largest markets that if you're going to sell the hooch, you want to be in. And because India has a billion and a half people, China has a billion people. Right. And that, I mean, so if you've got a market where you have one billion people, all I have to do is sell something worth a dollar to each person, and that's a billion dollars. Right. And, you know, fair warning, guys, I am going to Japan fairly soon. I am going to sample some of their lovely scotches while I'm over there. And that will be a whole episode or two. It'll be interesting. Just over what the differences are. I've tried one or two of the Japanese scotches. They were very good. They are different, in my opinion. So... I look forward to learning more. Right. And it, and we call things very differently. And one of the unique things that I really like is that throughout human history, all we try to do is distill something to make it alcoholic. Amen. <laughs> I mean, distill or ferment. <laughs> How do we ferment this fruit to make alcohol? Yeah. Because <laughs> they find beer recipes that are thousands of years old. Oh, yeah. I mean, wine and all this thousands of years right. old. And you just okay. and if you think about it, when you go back far enough in history, when your water supply is dodgy, well, great. What's going to purify it more than distilling or not using the water? Correct. You have to use the water at, for something like wine. But you when don't. You, but when you use it for wine and everything else like that, you, in essence, you sanitize it. Exactly. And before we have because. Think about the most simplest of improvements and how the toilet was so simple, but yet the sanitation revolution, if you will. Uh, yeah. Now you're like, uh, uh, what else would we do? Right. But, but conceptually, they used to drink wine. Right. And they used to drink wine out of lead uh, cups. And yeah. lead poisoning was very, very right. prevalent. I mean, I think Caesar had seizures. I think if you watch the television program Rome, I think yes. HBO did that. Um, I think it did a lot of, it did, it did take some historical um, license. Liberties. Yeah, as yeah. like to call them. But one of the things they did get right was that Caesar, thousands of years ago, did suffer from uh, seizures, and they believe in part because of lead. Well, I, I had always thought it was from epilepsy. But that being said, the lead sure isn't going to help with that situation. Absolutely not. So you just you just think about how the world works. And this is, again, I mean, that's in uh, Rome and Italy and that mm -hmm. Mediterranean portion of the world. And all they do is Which wine. is a big wine region. Huge and wine region. If you look at the Bible, I was talking about the sanitation aspects. You know, if water is not safe to drink, heck yeah, Jesus is turning water to wine. It's safe. It's, it, it's our version of saying this is, this is an interest in national security. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Jesus we, was a patriot. Well, he's a patriot, man. I'm <laughs> going to save all these people. How am I saving them? Well, I don't want them to drink bad water. Right. Uh, instead, let's get everybody drunk. Get them on the hooch. Oh, I don't know if he was paying that. you got to control yourself, but. Yeah, well, it's but. one of those uniquenesses through our history. But that's conceptually, I mean, for me, when you think about it, you're just like, we have been making alcohol and, dist and distilling and uh, fermenting for Right. So long that it's, so long. it's just, you feel like it's in your DNA. And then we invent these things called countries and trade and tariffs and everything else like that. And yet alcohol remains. <laughs> and here we are, thousands of years later, and we're still arguing about, A, can we sell the alcohol on Sunday? That's a big deal. 
Good Lord. Can we sell? What kind of alcohol can we sell on Sunday? Yes. What's the percent? What's the proof? Uh, I mean, where I grew up, you could not even buy beer on Sundays. And keep in mind that beer was considered like 3.2%. Oh, high-low beer. Yeah, high-low beer. They specifically made it for the state of Oklahoma because they would sell enough and it was worth it for them to modify their recipe so that they would hit that 3.2% or lower. And yet, I mean, if you wanted higher, you had to go to an actual liquor store. You could buy Budweiser in the grocery store, but it was going to be 3.2%, and you could not even buy that on a Sunday. And not to be too preachy, but Muhammad uh, and Moses, or Jesus, never came off the mound and said, you can't sell liquor on Sunday. Right. That was not part of it. <laughs> so, ah, for all we know, they came down and said, hey, could you pass me a beer? Right, right. Why are we not distilling all this stuff, man? <laughs> I mean, and it, even in the rushes, the, pota- the potato. I, You know, it's the whole, how do you make all those kinds of products? So sure. it's just, it, it's, it's a very global um, product, and it's very interesting to see how everybody has to interact because in this day and age of globalization where we are it, we are at such a level of specialization right that you can create a single malt and not even be you can almost import all the products like if i was in an island in the middle of nowhere like let's say i've got an uh, just to use an example let's say i'm part of the saudi arabia royal family and i got just that billions of dollars mm-hmm. i could be in the middle of the desert I can import the finest water that I like, maybe from Cardew uh, in Scotland. I can then get barley from the best regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get hops from the best regions. And I can create my own product just by importing it right there. Right. I can do that in this day and age. I can have it shipped by land, by sea, or by air. And we live in an age where we have the internet. You can search for all of those things. You can order them online and they can be shipped to you without ever speaking to a human. Correct. I can have all the stuff show up and distill in my garage. I am not. That's illegal. But someday I hope to have a license that will allow me to. Hello. See, we have... The finer things, Right, the finer things. Right. So we have a uh, bureau in America... Called ATF. Well, the A stands for alcohol. The T is for tobacco, and we're not going to worry about the F because that's for firearms. But the well, first, there's also E. Right. Yeah. But first two letters uh, for alcohol and tobacco. <laughs> there's a reason check for them. And check. There's a reason for that. I mean, it's uh, just one of those um, necessities uh, of life. If you were puritanical, just by the very founding of our nation, we are a bit puritanical still when it comes to the A and the T. Correct. Well, and these weren't rules. I mean, we just, they're self-imposed. So They are. They are self-imposed. That's exactly what I mean. It's just self-imposed rules. But yeah, I mean, it's very interesting to see how the EU now will also shape how we have to, you know, the the scotch uh, and distillers will have to maneuver because they can't say no to the American market. We're right. too big. And again, we consume a lot of scotch. Well, as we talked whiskey. about, it's that balancing act between this is affecting us now and we still have to plan for the future, but we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And somehow we have to balance those two. It's it's straight business. It's, it's pure economics and figuring out 
what works and what will work and making those projections and and it's a gamble i mean right now oh, absolutely like, like lisa said the minimum is a three-year-old scotch i don't think we've done a three-year-old i don't want to do a three-year-old <laughs> so i'm good right so because it was going to be uh young and when we see young it's going to be harsh it's going to you're going you're gonna to feel the scotch it's, it's going to taste like grass and nasty jet fuel Jet yeah, kind fuel of. is the way that Grass I Grass flavored jet fuel. Jet fuel. So, so for three years, so you start making three-year-old scotch right now, today. And so you're making an assumption that are these tariffs going to be here in three years? Because right. again, the world is an ever-changing place. So again, the business aspect of the distillers, they have to look at it and say, okay, yeah, we got to gamble right now. And how is that gamble going to affect them? Because that gamble doesn't affect them now. It affects them in three years. Right. And then in three years, they're going to make another decision. So every year, every growing season, they're going to make a decision of what what universe are we living in and how do we plan for those changes. Right. And that includes the labor, all those inputs, the costs, I mean, all of that kind of stuff. So right. it's, it's a great – I want to um, – one of the suggestions I actually did is if you another podcast that if you're not into that I do listen to mm-hmm. called Freakonomics. Love Freakonomics. Have not listened to the podcast. Love the book. One of the things that I've suggested because uh, they do have like a suggestion, what kind of show? Yeah. I said the I said the economics of Scotch and, oh, God, and distillers yes. and whatnot because if you look at the economic analysis of it, you'll you'll think to yourself, is it kind of heady sometimes? Sure. But then you're like, okay, this it makes sense. Right. And then you follow it through the system and their universe, and then you're like, okay, I, you kind of see it. And then at the end of the day, you're like, it's a crapshoot. <laughs> I mean, you've got the dice in your hand. Right. You throw the dice and you say, uh, okay, here and we go. I mean, technically speaking, that's what economics is all about. We think of it in terms of money. It's not. It's decision making. And how does that decision play out? And the reason I love Freakonomics is because they'll talk about all kinds of stuff. I remember in their book, they discussed abortion and one country outlawed it and what effects did that have 20 years down the road. And I mean, that doesn't exactly have to do with money. Certainly, it has financial implications that play out. Everything does. But the economics is really, what's this decision and how does it affect the future? It's nonpartisan, too. So it, the regard, Yes, it the, is. It, Even though I brought up just the most heavy-handed sure. of topics. Super heavy. They are looking at it and just saying, well, here's what happened. Here are the facts. Right. Here are the facts. It doesn't get political. Right. And that's, and that's, and that's what really economics is. It's nonpolitical. And the problem with economics and, you know, in my life, the law is that it doesn't really care what you think or feel. It very much, very true. It's going to do what it's going to do, and you're like, I don't want you to do that. Well, that's too bad, because it's going to happen. Now, you can manipulate, I mean, you can manipulate various different things. That's also the economics, is you've got to figure out, okay, if I don't like the implications of that, is there a way that I can change it so that I am comfortable with it politically? 
This is why it's a big field and worth studying. And Absolutely, learning. and it's also multivariable calculus. And if, oh, you, didn't, God. if you didn't like and math, and I'm I didn't, tapping out at yeah, that point, and I didn't, I'm not a big math. I'm, you know, again, we both went to law school, so we yeah. obviously weren't that good at math. But I can tell you, a third or forty percent of most numbers. I'm not going to lie to you there. But uh, you, you've got all these moving parts, and you've right. got all these moving parts that are independent of each other. Some of them are dependent on each other. And then you've got this equation, and then it still comes down to that master distiller saying, okay, we are going to try to produce right. X amount of bottles, and we're going to try to grow X amount of stuff, and we're only going to use, like Lisa said, it's a natural uh, resource, peat. We're, we're I'm going to use X amount of peat, right. and we're going to go from there. Right. And it shall be what it shall be. And some of them, like Jim McEwen at Brooklady. They produced the Octomore under his watch, and, you know, that was just, uh -uh. I'm rolling the dice here. I don't know how this is going to turn out. We're going to try and see. And there's nothing conservative about it. You're just, no, let's go all out. Gutsy call. And it very much was. Gutsy call. And... You, you've got to make, you got to use your, and like I said, in the full part of the finer things in your own life is that you, everybody's life is their own multivariable right. equation. So you've got to think to yourself, okay. And again, Lisa and I will always advocate that you figure out what you want to do and right. figure out where you want to be. Because once you figure that out, everything else is academic. Right. Everything else is academic. Because then all of a sudden, everything becomes clearer. And you're sure. like, okay, I want to do this. Great. I want to go back to school. Okay, how do I do that? Do I go to night school? Yeah. Do I have kids? Where am I in life? How much money do I make? I mean, you've got all these different variables. And right. the only variable that we all have in common is time. Yep. And that's really what it is. So uh, Lisa's time and my time are very different. So in a given day, sure. we will make the choice, consciously or not, to spend our time how we see fit. Right. And we make that upon the data that Lisa sees in hers and I see in mine, and we make the call. Yeah. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Sure. And, I mean, that's as simple that's as simple as it can be. Yeah. I mean, I think of, uh, God, hundreds of decisions that I've made, and it's, do I spend money here? Do I spend time here? Is that going to pay off? And at the end of the day, it's kind of rolling the dice and knowing, okay, if this doesn't work out, here's my backup plan. Reverse that decision in whatever way that I'm able to. Sometimes it's easier, sometimes not so easy. And going for it. Other people are more conservative and they may decide this gamble, this Expensive time or money is not worth it to me, and so I'm not going to pursue that, even though I really do want to do this. And, you know, I can't say that they're wrong. I can only say I would have made a different decision. But it's not my life. What worked for me and what works for somebody else, totally different. And I can't tell them they're necessarily wrong. Oh, yeah, and, I, and my encouragement would be never tell anybody that, and this will also help you deal with those people at work that you may not get along with or may not enjoy their company. Or you, Everybody has that one person at work. Sure. And you're like, it's that guy. I am usually that guy. Yeah. I, I'm usually that. <laughs> Me I know, too. I know who that guy is because you're like, 
Because the, the colloquial phrase is, if you don't know who the a-hole in the room is, you're the a-hole. Yeah, look in right? the mirror. Right, look in the mirror, right? So, again, it'll you identify in your life what's important. You identify, okay, this is uh, this is a stretch goal for me. Sure. And, again, we're coming up. It's uh, late 2019. We're coming up to 2020, mm-hmm. right? So, you get to have, uh, we're going to come up into the holidays now, and everybody hates going to the holidays because it's always talking to your family and the accountability. There's usually an accountability portion. And so, uh, if you said something last Christmas and you said, you know, I wanted to do this. Well, did you? Right. And why did you or why did you not? And if you look in the mirror and say, well, nothing prevented me from doing this other than me, you got your answer. And that's that's sobering for sure. And, you know, to bring it back around, the distillers are doing that as a business decision. Do we produce this one particular one? Okay, we've got this cask here, and it was a weird year for rain and barley and all kinds of stuff was going on, and this is just very different than the normal stuff we put out. Uh, Let's take the Ardbeg that we're drinking today. Maybe they've got one that... Delicious. It is delicious. Maybe they've got one that Ardbeg's kind of known for being quite peaty. Maybe they got a particular set of casks that they're not so peaty. Well, what does Ardbeg do with a not so peaty scotch? You know, maybe they put out a different version of their product and they label it as such. Or Maybe they say, no, this is just unusable. This does not fit with our brand, and they chuck it. They get rid of it. Take all those barrels, chuck it. Or sell them off. Sell them off to uh, Johnny Walker or who knows? Doors. Doors. Another another blended. For the record, they produced the first commercial in the entire world. Doors? They did. I love it. I saw a picture of it. It's very cute. It's got this middle-aged Scottish man with just the mustache. The mustache to end all mustaches. And he's kind of dancing a little thing. That's awesome. Yeah, and the and to put a button on it as yeah. far as the alcohol advertising and scotch advertising. If you so I if you have a five or seven minutes and you want to blow off, instead of watching cat videos on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, you can uh, Google uh, Johnny Walker um, commercials. I'm going to be searching for that. And they'll, there's a couple of good ones. Um, and they've got a long seven minute video. That's that's pretty good. And you you listen to that video and, and you watch it. You're like, yeah, let's do this. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very, they're motivational too. I mean, me personally, I get great joy out of watching... It's a little old now. I want to say it was maybe 70s or really early 80s. I love watching Brian Cox pronounce all of these Scotch distilleries. Not that I can get them right, but it's just, God bless that man. I truly do love him. And watching him in succession is just a joy in my life. But that's how I spend my time is watching him sit there and say, (laughs) <laughs> the end. <laughs> and there's a couple of uh, uh, Johnny Walker commercials, like they're called the Gentleman's Wager One and the Gentleman's ah. Wager Two. They're short movies and everything else like nice. that, but they're uh, they're super cute. 
Um, and, you know, again, they're 30 seconds, uh, those kinds of things. And you just, you watch them and you're like, yeah, um, most of them have big name actors. And yeah. one of the, when you watch them, and this is the other thing of how, you know, insane we are as a society, in my opinion, that in alcohol, so in the United States, and this is different from other countries, mm-hmm. in the United States, we can show the pouring of alcohol. Mm-hmm. We can show the, everybody having a great time with alcohol. We can show everything other than the consumption. The consumption of the actor or person on the television cannot consume the alcohol, and if they do, it's got to be like on a, what we would call it, what I would call because that's how we grew up, like a pay channel when the first cable came out, right. like an HBO or Showtime. Um, then you could do it. Think about it. We rank this on terms similar to. Low-core pornography. What? The same with liquor, alcohol. Correct. Yeah, and so we and these are all rules we've imposed upon ourselves because you're going to see a three-year-old who's drinking Scott. I mean, no, I don't think so. Right. But it, it's just unique when you watch the commercials and you notice those little ticky, what we would call ticky-tack details. Yeah. Um. So I want to do a very, very brief corrections corner sort of a thing. Um, I mentioned it a second ago. I want to apologize to all of our Scottish and UK listeners. And we do have quite a few. Guys, we're American. And we try with the names and we butcher the hell out of them. We do. And I do apologize for that. And I constantly try to do better. It's Glenn Alachie, not Glenn Alachie. Glenn Alachie. Alachie. And I'm still, I know I messed it up, and I'm going to mess it up right here. Eiley? That's not how it's pronounced. Spelled Isley. It's, yeah. It's I-S-L-A-Y. Spelled, yes. And I apologize. I will get it. I promise you. This is my promise to you. I will get it. I'm we'll get there. better. I'm not there today. And for the ladies that listen, I'll, the gentleman's wager from Johnny Walker, the one and two, they have Jude Law. Um, oh, hi. He's easy, <laughs> easy on the eyes. He's and all then, right. And uh, the older gentleman is uh, Giancarlo. Um, you recognize him. I forget his last name, but he's an Italian guy. You oh, see him, I know like, him. I know. Like, I know who that guy uh, is. What is his last? But his first name is Giancarlo, and he's that. He is that stereotypical uh, affluent uh, Italian guy. He was in the Bond movie. He was in the Bond right? movie. He played one of the um, um, secret agents that helped yeah. uh, Bond, but. Uh, yeah, so it's they're they're a couple of minutes long. So instead of watching a cat video, that might be uh... <laughs> ah, yeah, cat video or Jude Law. I'm in. Yeah, so that's the thing. So as we put a button up here, uh, Lisa, give me one good thing. One good thing. Um, you go first. I gotta think. The one good thing that I have is I will say tradition. The one good thing. Okay. Um, and I'll I'll expand upon that to give Lisa some more time to think about it. Thanks. I have a. There's a, how do you start a tradition? And well, first you got to start it. And how do you, you got to do it and you got to do it on a consistent basis. One of the things that I've uh, started to do with my, uh, my girls is that the local, uh, railroad here in, uh, Summit County, it's called the Cuyahoga Valley National Railroad. It's great. Great little place. They do, uh, brews, rails and, uh, ales. And yeah. they've got a lot of wine and they do some scotch tastings where you take like an hour and a half or two hour train ride mm-hmm. and, it, Right now, at least in today's society, taking a train ride, it, nobody does it. Uh, at least on the East Coast, you'll take a train to work. 
And sure. that's it's very, very common. But at least here where we are, mass transit has not been perfected. And our mass transit right. is bus, for sure. But one of the things that I, one of the traditions, if you will, is that the local event that they do is they mimic the Polar Express. So their largest annual fundraiser yeah. is that the, the railroad company does a recreation of the children's book Polar Express, yes. where all the conductors dress up, they have Santa, they read the Polar Express book, and right. it's all, you know Tom Hanks is the one doing the reading and everything else like that. Not on the actual Cuyahoga Valley Railroad. He's, he's not actually on there, but it's, we need Tom Hanks. But that uh, maybe next year, if I hit my revenue goals, Tom, we can, if you're out there listening, we'll, uh, we need you. We got to get your agent's uh, information for the there <laughs> for the kids, and so and everybody dresses in their PJs, and then we travel. Uh, on the railroad to another area of town where it's uh, it's dressed up like it's the North Pole. It's pretty awesome. It, it's a pretty cool event, uh, and we and we do we've done that now, and we've started that tradition. And it's I the reason that I have to be so vigilant is because the tickets go on sale for the tickets went on sale earlier this week at ten in the morning. Yeah. It took 24 hours, and they and they do this every day from the second week of November until the week of Christmas. Right. And so it's about six weeks. It's a six-week run, like a right. Broadway show would be like a six-week run once a day, and it's sold out in 24 hours. It does. It, and it's a wonderful event, and so my one good thing is that we'll, because uh, I just recently set up the tickets and everything else nice. like that, because I've got it in my calendar, you know, one of those little reminders in your calendar. You know, they go on sale at 10 a.m., so at 9.50, I get the reminder, hey, these tickets go on sale. <laughs> and I'm like, wherever I am, I mean, even while I'm in court, I'll, like, step outside because right. I know that i got to get these tickets ready because I know they'll sell out. Right. So, and occasionally, you don't get a great date. And you're like, okay, it's not a great date, but you still you still buy the tickets. So that's my one good thing. I remember um, one of the earliest dates that I went on with my boyfriend, it was on the Cuyahoga Valley Railroad, and it was the very last day they were open. They weren't doing the Polar Express yet, but you could see all of the little villages kind of set up for it, and they were just about to move into that season. And I'm sure that the tickets had already been sold out long before that point, but it was cool. You could get to see it and experience it without... All the singing and dancing and Pageant the trick. story of it. And it was it was very fun. Um, my one good thing is that business has been amazing and having a great time. I've got great people working with and for me. And um, I, I feel like I'm standing at the precipice and I look and I can see the future and I know oh my God, it's about to get really amazing. Super I, proud of her. I don't know what's going to happen yet, but I know it's it's coming. It's right there at the cusp. All I got to do is just be open to it and accept it, and it's going to happen. So I'm, I'm so pleased and so blessed. Now, thanks again for listening to the Finer Things Podcast. We are podcasting live from the Cigar Lodge, the members-only area in beautiful Akron, Ohio. Again, mention the Finer Things for a special discount. Lisa, where can we find you? Intricate Girl on Instagram. I'm at Jet Set Lawyer. Thanks again for donating to our Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash the Finer Things Podcast. And until next time, thanks so much. Bye, guys.